This show is pre-recorded and furnished by Frasier Productions. Welcome to The Deciders with Renee Frazier. I'm Renee Frazier. I'm the founder and CEO of an advertising firm called Frazier Communications. We're the largest woman-owned and woman-led advertising communications firm in Southern California, and I'm honored to be able to do this show. At Frazier Communications, we focus on using communications to make the world better, and that means changing behaviors to grow brands, but also to positively impact society. We do a lot of that in the public sector, working with the Department of Public Health, and all of us have become acutely aware of the importance of us understanding best practices and the ways in which we can fight coronavirus in the L.A. County. We're going to be talking today with an expert in this area. I've decided to devote my shows for the next month or month and a half to understanding better COVID-19 or coronavirus and how it can infect individuals, understanding the practices we can do to limit exposure and flatten the curve, as people have been talking about. We'll talk a little bit about what that means, and then also talking about how we cope How do we handle being inside and limited in our sphere and our social context? I think all of us love and adore our families, but spending so much time at home and being remote workers can't get hard on people. We want to talk about how to make that less stressful and how to how to be the best person you can be in the situation that we're in. So that'll be another part of our conversation. Today, we're going to be talking about how to cope with the quarantine, and and we're also going to be talking about the spread of coronavirus. We're going to start with the spread of coronavirus and some of the key facts with what you can do about it and why. The wonderful person we have on the on the show today is Dr. Deborah Allen. She's the Deputy Director of Health Promotion at the Los Angeles County Department of Public Health. Dr. Allen, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Let's begin with an update on the situation with coronavirus. Thanks so much, Renee. It's it's. I'm very glad to be here and to share uh, what we understand is going on. So. Uh, Today's been a very rough day. Um, There have been uh, 421 new cases identified, and very tragically, um, there have been uh, several, nine uh, deaths over the last 24 hours, which brings our total um, um, toll of deaths to 21. Uh, We think that is in part because there has been, the, the increase in cases has been in part because um, there have been more tests getting done. The increase in deaths is just, of course, the duration of uh, the pandemic and that uh, after a while, people who have been hanging on um, uh, pass on. Right. I understand. I understand. We'll talk more about those people in a a moment. Um, I'm sorry to hear about the increased deaths. We're going to be talking about the specific things people should do, um, and I want to just talk first about why they should do it, this notion of flattening the curve. I know we've seen a lot of social media about it, and we've heard it in the news. Can you explain that to us just so people conceptually understand why that's so important? Sure. Um, if we allow the, the virus to spread very quickly, then many people will be getting sick at the same time, and we will begin to overload the capacity of our hospitals, and particularly the capacity to take care of the sickest 
of our patients, the sickest of our, our neighbors and friends and family. Um, and we will see both uh, a very, very serious illness and an increase in deaths. So the idea of flattening the curve is that you avert a big increase at one time in the number of people who are getting infected by, um, by keeping people from infecting each other. Um, this is, it's called a novel virus, and it's novel in the sense that it has not appeared in human beings before, so none of us have immunity to it. There's nobody who has natural immunity, and there's nobody who has had a vaccine because there isn't one. So the only way we prevent a, a, a very rapid um, peak in the number of cases is by spreading people out to spread the disease out, to spread contagion. Um, so when we talk about spreading contagion, that leads us to one of the things we've been learning and, and reemphasizing and seeing about the size, which is social distancing, which some people now are calling physically distancing. Tell us about that and why that is so important. Well, the virus is spread through droplets that pass from one person to another if a person sneezes or coughs, a person who's infected sneezes or coughs or, or just, you know, breathes out and, and something spurts out of their mouth. And those droplets fall in the air before they hit six feet. So six feet is a safe distance. Mm. And so it, it's just a very simple fact that you're, you know, you're, you're talking about a trajectory and it's not going to reach you if you're six right. feet away. So you have to stay six feet away. And then the other thing we know is it can reside on objects. Yes, so we also can. have to wash our hands. Want to share that messaging with us as well? Absolutely. So if, um, if I am infected, I sneeze, I um, wipe my nose with my hand, I then put my hand on a doorknob, you open the door, you now have it on your hand, and then you, um, you scratch your nose, which feels a little itchy, that's a chance for contagion to occur. So the, the root, if you will, um, that hand washing averts is um, my infection to some object, to your hand, uh, to your face, and then you become infected. And if we interrupt that with hand washing before it goes from your hand to your face, you're going to be protected from getting it. And hand washing is extremely uh, effective. Yeah, hand washing kills the virus, breaks it apart, so it's no longer active, so it can latch on in the body and replicate itself. We had a, another physician on sharing some of those facts with us previously, so just reiterating that. Now, what about getting tested? People are anxious about testing. We don't have a lot of tests. We know their capacity is improving, but still limited in the number of tests. So what do you recommend if people feel the symptoms and, and just remind us of what those are. Well, if you have very mild symptoms like a cold, the reality is that you treat it the way you treat a cold with one difference, which is that you really have to make sure that you don't go out before the period we've identified for isolation is finished. And I'll come back to that. I'm, I'm, we, can, we can talk about that. Mm -hmm. But otherwise, you know, you drink liquids, you make sure your fever stays low, and you can treat the symptoms. You can, you can take medications, over-the-counter medications, um, that will, you know, treat your sore throat, make you feel better, um, make you feel more comfortable. And so, there, you know, it is nice to know. People want to know if they have it. But we're trying very hard to protect the testing resources for people for whom it really makes a difference. And those are the more vulnerable or the people with more serious symptoms. At this point, um, people, we do have testing going on in commercial labs. 
and doctors can request those tests for patients for whom they feel that that's appropriate. Um, And so there is greater access to testing, but we really would discourage somebody who's just worried, well, you know, I feel fine, but Mm -hmm. I just like to know. Um, We would really discourage that. And if somebody has very mild manageable symptoms, they should absolutely isolate themselves because it could be the virus. How Um, long should that isolation be? So That's a little tricky. So they have to isolate for at least seven days. And they have to isolate for at least three days after their symptoms stop. So if they have symptoms for two weeks, they're going to pass the seven days, but they must pass the seven days. And then they have to wait three days from when the symptoms have completely stopped and they no longer have a fever without taking any medication to bring the fever down. Now, if their symptoms last a day, then they... a day after their symptoms go away, if they feel great, then they have to wait three days, which would bring it to four days. But the minimum is seven. So it's so, always plus three, the length of the of the uh, of, as that you're sick, plus three days. Got it. Now we have, and, but or it's always seven, whichever is longer. Got it. So better to say it's always seven. I, I hear you. It's I think always it's seven. Good. And if you only get better on the seventh day, it's three more days. So got it. Ten. Got it. Does that make sense? Yep, that makes clear sense. That's very okay. clear. Now, what about the fact that we're told that people should isolate for fourteen days? That's a different message. Is that for a different set of circumstances? Well, that's people we're saying should quarantine themselves because they've been exposed. And it's a completely different matter because those people, 14 days is um, our best guess based on the evidence we have of how long it's likely to be before the virus will show up or sort of an outside um, figure for how long it'll be. So the virus could show up in a couple of days, in a few days. That is, if you're exposed, you know, we go back to my hand, uh, my nose to the doorknob to your hand to your nose situation. So um, usually um, within a few days after you've rubbed your nose with the contamination on your hand, um, you're going to be sick, but it can be up to 14 days. And so the 14 days is a safe period for saying, okay, you, you, you dodged the bullet. You're okay. Um, you didn't catch it from me. And so you can go back in the world. If you get sick during those 14 days, then you're on the clock that runs the seven days, uh, minimum seven days, plus three after your symptoms go away. I see. Okay. And let's talk about uh, the self-isolation directive and what that means and what does it mean for the people around you if you're in a home situation? That you all got to stay home. Mm -hmm. Um, You have to have food delivered. Ideally, if there is one sick person in the household and everyone else has been exposed, ideally, because those other people may not be sick yet, ideally, you want to try to um, isolate the person who is sick within the household so other people will bring them food but will stay six feet away. Um, uh, you know, that's, that's hard, um, but people may need to wear gloves. They may want to wear a mask, um, and um, they will do their best to take care of that person um, without coming close enough to catch it and then spread it to the rest of the household. It makes a lot of sense. You treat it as if you would if anyone was sick, so you don't share utensils? 
Exactly. You, you don't, don't share household items. Right. Share the same them. meals. Right. You wouldn't hold, you know, take a book from that person's hand and then, you know, hold on to that book without having gloves on your hand. You have to be mindful of how active this virus is. So you're, you're treating everyone in the house as if they might be infected, but you are particularly vigilant about um, not sharing any of those household items with the person who you know to be sick. I understand. Okay, so that's what the uh, self-isolation directive means. Let's let's move over to uh, the notion of uh, and the concern I think a lot of us have about this will last some time. It's the right thing to do. Social distancing is important. Most of us are remote working unless we're an essential worker, which means that we're in our homes. And I understand we can still go outside and take walks, which is a great idea, or to hike, but always stay the six feet away, as you so aptly explained, and clean your hands when you come back. Do not touch anything. But during that period when people are in their homes and not able to go to congregate areas, events with people, there is a tendency for people to get stressed and there's a possibility of people becoming unhappy and lonely. You talk about how people should cope with that and handle that in their families. Um, Sure. Um, And obviously there are different coping strategies for each person um, and there are complexities with relationships within the family. Um, and I want to say there, there are wonderful resources online. There are, um, there's material on our website about basic coping strategies, um, and there are um, all kinds of websites for particular parts of the, the population, like an, an older person might want to go to an, an AARP uh, website. And we're collecting those resources, and we'll have them on our website to give guidance about particular kinds of relationships and uh, people in particular groups. But I think Let me just mention the name of the website so everybody, in case they're, they're on their phone or they're listening and they want to go right away, it's publichealth.la.gov. Great. And Thank you. Yes. find all that information. It's a really rich resource. It also shares with you the current statistics, the state yes. of things. It's a great way to get lots of resources across the gamut of health concerns, but particularly now with coronavirus. And then these uh, resources, as you mentioned. Excuse me for interrupting. Keep going, no, please. Thank you. So let me say a few basic things, though, that everyone, um, I think, should try to do. So so first is whether you're an individual or you're in a household with other people, I think really important to find a routine, um, to find a schedule, and to, 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 to structure your day so that you feel as if you're getting things done because, you know, a sense of accomplishment is very important to human happiness. Um, we all want to feel we're productive. So time for work, time for play, time for interactions, private time um, if you are part of a family. Um, I think it's also useful sometimes to, um, to measure your exposure to the news so that your life is not coronavirus 24 hours a day, and you, you don't actually have to hear every single figure um, about uh, how the virus is spreading around the world. So I wouldn't become, I, I think it's very important to keep informed and to know the facts and particularly to understand how they apply in your own life. Um, but uh, I, I would also find ways to take a break from the news. Maybe don't let me let me uh, amplify on that. I've had that with some of my employees where they're constantly watching the news and texting me about their concerns. And I've asked them, please take a break, take a deep breath, 
we've we've uh, done some mindfulness exercises at the company and remind them of that, and then ask them to turn off the television and maybe not turn it on again until later in the evening to watch the news. That's really what you're saying, right? When you say measure, meaning absolutely reduce your consumption of news, and you don't need to watch it on a constant basis. It can be very worrying. But I think your your idea too of having activities that you accomplish and things that you've done, it's also a time to reconnect with people. I know I'm doing Zoom calls with friends at the end of the day and and with my daughters and my grandchildren, and it's a wonderful way to to feel a part of their lives and and making it kind of a normal routine at a certain time of the day. Absolutely. The cure here is to distance ourselves, and we're a species that doesn't like to do that, so we have to find ways to connect. And it's one of the blessings of the technology we have is that most of us have a variety of ways to do that, so we need to build that into our lives. I want to go back for one minute to the point about um, taking a break from the news, and that's to emphasize that that can be particularly important for young children because when when you hear the news and it's a repeat of a story that you're you're hearing the, it building from day to day, you know that it's the same story. But to a very young child, it can sound as if one after another terrible event is happening around the world. And it can be particularly scary um, to hear repeated stories about death in various places. So I would be particularly sensitive to young children's needs for the, the household to have the media off at times. A very good point. A very, very good point. You know, one of the other campaigns we do is the Talk, Read, Sing campaign for First Five California. And we're sharing best, you know, ways to do more activities that are free at home, activities with your children, and advice on how to handle questions about this with your children on the First Five California website. We've also got the California Sur- Surgeon General, Dr. Nadine Burke Harris, doing some radio spots to remind people of how to handle this so that we don't increase the trauma that children are experiencing. So I think you're absolutely right about limiting the news with the children and even the conversation around it. And there are obviously you want to be truthful with children, but you don't want to uh, create unnecessary fear. And uh, Well, one of the ways to do that, I think, um, that has uh, its own benefit is to play um, a, a hand-washing instruction game with kids so that they're learning. So, first of all, I think it, it's a useful skill, of course. We want them to learn that. But it's also a way of communicating that you have some control, that, mm. that there's something they can do. They can be effective. Um, so uh, that's one uh, particular strategy in this situation that's very important. That's a very good idea. I think you have to find ways to make your children, uh, as you said, feel that they're in control. And now with children taking homeschooling, they're they're getting accustomed to, uh, you know, having a lot of free time at home. So it's good for parents to be able to fill activities like that for their right. for their days. Now, when we talk about staying away from people, that means that people uh, you stay away from them when they're outside for six feet distance. Um, any other advice related to social distancing? I mean, I know when I go to the grocery store, they make me stay six feet away as I enter the store, and I'm cognizant as I go in. But I have to admit, when I'm in the store and I see a person I know, I might kind of fall into a conversation. That's not so good. Is that right? Yeah, well, uh, unless you don't mind it having a, a public audience 
that you can, you know, you can have the conversation <laughs> away, from, right. from six feet. Um, right. You know, I've, I've uh, decided I'm, I'm not going to be embarrassed about being the voice for six feet when I go into the store. And so I will try, you know, I will smile so that people know I'm not being rude to them and say, oh, sorry, I'm just backing away because I'm keeping my six feet. Um, and just repeating that every chance I get. Um, and if they think I'm a crazy lady, that's okay. I wanted to ask also about going to your doctor versus calling your doctor. We've talked about flattening the curve, and we know that this is highly prevalent, and we're seeing an increase in Los Angeles County, as you reported. Should people try to make appointments at the doctors, or should they be calling them first? They should call first. Well, they'd have to call for an appointment. And many doctors are offering telemedicine, which can solve a whole. So you have a rash, you know, you you did something to your your foot and you're not sure if you have a sprained ankle. There's a certain amount. Now, they're probably going to tell you to come in if the ankle truly is sprained, but they can probably do some questioning over the phone and with telemedicine, you know, even look at it and um, get some sense about that. So a lot of telemedicine and a lot of triaging. And the doctor and you will decide if you need to be seen. So use the phone call knowing it. It could be to make an appointment, but likely the doctor is going to also say, let's do this by phone and show me. I think the, the, uh, this is going to be a big boost, obviously, in telemedicine. It's, uh, it's been around for a while, but hasn't been utilized as much. And now, of course, it's going to become much more common. But it seems to me to make sense, right? You can, you can FaceTime with the doctor. You can show them what you're worried about. You can talk about it. And the doctor, she can gauge your anxiety, your mood. I know doctors very often look at us and gauge our physical presence, not just our symptoms. And and sometimes they'll even look at hand gestures for how you describe a symptom to see how severe it looks. Um, uh, And that can be useful information. So there's definitely an extra layer of of data being shared when you have the visual as well as the, the oral communication with your doctor. Good so point. It's a, so it's a great development. So it is a it is a it is a valid and useful way. People shouldn't feel like, oh no, I have to see the doctor in person. They can That's get. Right. I mean, unless they decide that they do, and mm-hmm. if it's something serious, they probably will. They probably but, will. Right, right. But if it it is this uh, the symptoms we've been talking about that look like a cold or a cough, I then, then it may not be necessary. Let's talk about the the more more uh, groups that we have to focus on for who are at higher risk. That's older people and people with an immune compromise system. Or, well, I'll let you tell us what those characteristics are. Well, the, those two groups, um, and then we also have some concerns about, um, for, for in a slightly different way, for women who are pregnant. We haven't seen any evidence of elevated risk to pregnant women during this epidemic. Um, There's no evidence that women are getting it more, and there's no evidence that it is either affecting pregnant women more than other people or affecting the baby once they're born. And there have been women who've been pregnant, given birth, given birth to perfectly healthy babies. Um, So I want to reassure people, but I do want to say that if you are pregnant, there is some reason to be concerned about um, a greater vulnerability during pregnancy to catching infections. And, um, and some concern about the potential impact of a high fever on the development of the fetus. 
So it really makes sense if you are pregnant um, to be very careful about uh, exposing yourself to the virus. If you can stay home, stay home if you're pregnant. If you can't, be really um, zealous about keeping the six feet, hand washing, and so on. Because even if the virus isn't particularly dangerous for pregnant women, and we don't know that yet, um, we absolutely know it is miserable to be sick with uh, uh, anything like the flu or a cold when you're pregnant. Um, So um, better still to stay careful. But so for people who are older or have um, any kind of chronic condition, or a disability that may impede lung function. So somebody who has a mobility impairment, for example, and uses a wheelchair may not have um, as much lung capacity as somebody who's up and about walking around with their chest lifted. Um, And so those are people, you know, because this is a a, a respiratory Respiratory disease. disease. That's right. Um, Those are people who are particularly vulnerable. And, and of course, people who have compromised immune function for whatever reason, um, you know, a disease or chemotherapy or or whatever, um, their vulnerability is to becoming infected. And so for those groups, we would recommend that they stay home, that they treat themselves as if everyone around them has the disease and um, have, you know, if they have caregivers in their home, whether they're family members or people come into, who come into the home to care for them, really take precautions about their physical connection to those people. Now, in some cases, they can maintain a six-foot barrier. Um, in other cases, they, they need some physical manipulation or treatment by a person who's taking care of them. And then, you know, you want to think about gloves, masks, um, lots of um, wiping down of any surfaces as they would touch in common. If somebody's in a wheelchair, you'd want to wipe down the arms of the wheelchair and make sure that if the caregiver is touching them and the person who's the user is touching them, um, that you're wiping them down in between. So you, you want to protect the person who has the greater vulnerability from the possibility that a caregiver could be uh, um, in leading to their infection. Got it. That's very helpful. Thank you. Uh, Dr. Allen, this has been very comprehensive. We really very appreciate it. This has been Dr. Deborah Allen, Deputy Director of Health Promotion for the L.A. County Department of Public Health. I want to remind everyone, resources are available at publichealth.lacounty.gov. Thank you so much for listening to The Deciders with Renee Frazier. And remember, Frazier Communications is a full-service firm that's available to help you with your business. If you have an interest, contact us at FraserCommunications.com. This broadcast will also be a podcast available on FraserCommunications.com. Stay safe. Remember to practice social distancing six feet. Wash your hands, as was shared with us by Dr. Allen, and have a very good week ahead. Thank you for listening. This show is pre-recorded and furnished by Frasier Productions.